independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. We've been gone a long time due to the coronavirus pandemic, and I have to say that we are absolutely elated to be back. For the last year and a half, we decided that it was unsafe to have musicians in the same room together. But now that vaccinations are commonplace and the situation continues to improve, we have dusted off our microphones and we will once again be bringing you conversations with incredibly creative musicians. As we've been saying for over 10 years now, Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Leanne Skoda. Nashville is a town filled with great singers and great songwriters, and certain rare artists are endowed with exemplary gifts in both endeavors. Leanne Skoda is just that kind of artist, and although she's from Arizona and currently calls Los Angeles home, she chose Nashville as the setting to record her new EP, Lucky Penny. While it's true that Skoda cut her teeth singing choral music and the kinds of country standards that comprise the foundation of every storied building on Music Row, her musical evolution on Lucky Penny reveals that her palette is infinitely more varied than yet another cookie-cutter country singer in a sequined shirt. Sure, she can pull off a convincing Emmy Lou, Maybelle Carter, or Sheryl Crow, and she's been doing so for years, both with her own songs as well as a hired-gun session singer. But the adventurous soundscapes of her new direction are more indicative of a fumbling-towards-ecstasy-era Sarah McLachlan or even Radiohead's pioneering the Benz or OK Computer albums. The five gems on Lucky Penny were written during an especially inspired artistic period fomented by a month-long songwriting challenge with a friend, and the self-imposed ambitious parameters of turning out new songs day by day paid off in spades. Skoda makes both the writing and the singing sound easy, but they most certainly are not. Making rare gifts sound easy is the hallmark of a true artist. Welcome to Independence Day, Leanne Skoda. Hi Leanne, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am great. I can't wait for people to hear the music you're going to play today. Uh, you're a relatively new artist to me. You're part of the L.A. scene. I've seen your name around on the socials and elsewhere. Uh, L.A.'s funny that way. As big a town as it is, the music community is in some ways small. And uh, so I've seen your name around, and I'm happy to like make your acquaintance and meet you and see what you're all about and hear what you're all about. And I can't wait for the Independence Day listeners to hear what you're all about. But let's dive in. I want to get some bio information out of you first. I know a little bit about you, but I want to share that with our listeners and also find out more about what makes you tick. So the first way I'm going to get into that is I wanted to ask you, go back to high school, imagine in your head, who was your favorite band in high school, your favorite artist? Because I feel like like you, back when you'd go to visit someone's house, and back then you had CDs or records, and you could see, you could like look across their record collection and say, oh, they've got... Uh, you know, ministry or they've got Kemper Van Beethoven or whatever. Who was that band for you or artist for you? Right. When I was in high school, mm-hmm. man, it was, I feel like every year in high school probably was a different era of, of music fandom. But I loved like, you know, what was going on in the indie rock scene. I loved Feist. I loved uh, like Death Cab for Cutie, mm-hmm. um, Imogene Heap. I got really into My Morning Jacket mm-hmm. for a long time. And then also in, into college. Um, I also really loved bluegrass music. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Alison Krauss and Union Station. Um, grew up listening to bluegrass, like the Cox family. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in high school, I still kept listening to some of my childhood favorites like that. So I had quite an eclectic Tom Petty, like we, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. Quite a interesting array of music. And where where did those kind of influences come for you? Because ra- at one point it was all radio. Right. You know, radio was how people discovered new music, how you, maybe there was like the the counter jockey at the local record store back when we had record stores. Now there's kind of a resurgence of record stores, but for a period there, you know, the mom and pop shops were kind of getting weeded out. And so how did, how, like, how did you hear about music? Like in your friend set in school, how did you hear about new music? You know, I definitely heard about new music from friends, but I was always like, ever since I was a kid, when I was really young, I I would listen to the radio and make mixtapes myself. Mm. I was like six, seven years old, go home in my room and like, you know, pressing record on my yeah. boombox and making like little mixtapes. So I I've I was always kind of like that. And then into high school, I would go to like the local bookstore, you know, where you could scan the CD and then you could listen to it. Mm-hmm. So I would hunt myself th- through the CDs and find music I liked that way. And then there was, I hate to admit this, but there was Napster and I would mm-hmm. find music through Napster as well. And and then definitely some some influence through friends. Like I remember discovering Radiohead through friends yeah. and um there was like a scene of like emo music at my high school in particular and I I was also into those bands um (laughs) music that now I look back and I listen to it I'm like oh man I thought this was so good when I was 15 (laughs) and now I can't it's like unlistenable but at the time I liked it and that's that's okay yeah yeah is there a uh I don't want to say guilty pleasure because I feel like people shouldn't be so judgy about other people's music tastes and Mm -hmm. choice but is there something that would be a de facto guilty pleasure something that because I have tons of things that I go back. Like I even have seasonal music, like music that I that always reminds me of fall. And I, yeah. I you know, I'm listening. I'm in my autumnal music playlist realm right now. So, do you have music that, uh, again, for the guilty pleasure ish thing, like thing that you go back to? Oh yeah. Um, I well, there's my guilty pleasure from you know my high school. Actually, you know what a really a big one for me would be the band Sixpence None the Richer. Oh yeah, they did a cover of um the uh Grinch song. Oh, really? Yeah, you're a monster, Mr. Grinch. I did not know about that, but but I love I love I don't know how many records they put out, but there's one that I I love so much. Um Nashville also, group, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um I also Right now, my guilty pleasure music is like my workout playlist, which uh-huh. is like Robin. I'm a big fan of Robin okay. and her voice, and it's got some Lizzo on there. Can I tell you a funny workout music story? Yeah. Back in Chicago, you know, I was, I'm a runner, so I, I run a lot to keep myself functional and healthy. Uh, and uh, <laughs> in Chicago, it gets, it gets cold, very cold. And I tried running through the winter you know, when I was really doing it, like the time when I was running marathons and so cold, just it's like, if it's below freezing, it'll burn. Sometimes it almost feels like it burns your lungs. And plus you run the risk of tripping and it's dark all the time. So a lot of times you have to run after work, run during the dark, in the dark. And so I got a gym membership for the first time ever at at the Y, which was pretty clean in that part of town. So, and back then it was a CD disc man. And I would take some discs down like, okay, I'm going to run on the treadmill because I don't really like running on the treadmill. It's like a hamster thing. 
but I brought some CDs, what I thought was the most up-tempo music in my, or, you know, rockiest right. music, like right. in my catalog. Because some of my stuff's very quiet and very yeah. intimate, folky stuff. And I remember bringing Back in Black. And I put it on, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to run. This is going to be great. You know, this is really energetic music. And then when you put on, if, try this at home, kids. You put on Back in Black, the tempo is not fast. It's like <laughs> chick, 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 click, click. Bump, open space. And I'm like, okay, well, it's rocky, but not fast. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, let's try, um, let's try Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Put that on, and it's like, down out, down out, down out. It's not as fast as you think. Then I was right. like, oh, this isn't going to work. So you know what I ended up doing? What? I went against type and I put Cowboy Junkies on. Okay. And just ran to like really lethargic, <laughs> laconic, <laughs> slow, wonderful music. So I just went against type. That's my, that's, try it at home sometime. I have done that actually. I remember running, I don't really run anymore, but I, when I first discovered Sufjan Stevens. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I love that guy. I was running to his music. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I loved it, and it yeah. was just something to distract me from the running itself, yeah. which is, you know. Yeah, even now, I don't always listen to music, but if I run, like, I always think, because I run down through Eagle Rock and up kind of through Highland Park and back up through um, parts of Glendale, and I, I think some days... When I'm running, I'll put something on like Tom Waits or whatever, and I think I'm probably the only person jogging and listening to Tom Waits in the entire <laughs> Los Angeles area. Totally, right now. I love that. Maybe I not. Love that. Anyway, sorry. So we got a taste of high school, like who you were. Like which kid were you? Were you a like a goth kid? Were you an indie kid? Were you? And I, it's not so much about pigeonholing you as much as it is hearing how you felt about like what did you think about yourself? Mm, yeah, were you in the theater, music yeah. program, music choir, and in music theater. Um, I went to a very small school. How small is very small? Uh, there were 88 in my graduating class. That is small. Yeah. And the cool thing about that was that kids could kind of do anything. Like our quarterback of our football team was also like the star tenor in the choir. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I was not athletic, so I was definitely not not playing sports as soon as i could audition for like the choirs and the musicals that was my thing and that's what kept me getting out of bed and going to school every day was that i could yeah. go sing in choir and go uh do the musicals yeah so what what because i mean i sang in tons of choirs mm -hmm. all the way through college and a little bit afterwards i had a wonderful wonderful experience in choir i think you learned so many things but what did um what did you love about it what did you love about that world Mm. the power that's behind all those voices and just getting to sing with so many people it just creates the most wonderful feeling it's just the best yeah. feeling ever also just being able to sing harmony um has always been something i've loved so getting to do that in the choir context it was like getting to do my favorite thing yeah. In, in a class period. Yeah. So, but if your school was that small, mm -hmm. I mean, how many people were in your choir? Mm. Ballpark. I want to say there were, I would say it was like equivalent to like a full class, like maybe 40 kids. Okay. That's pretty big. Maybe, maybe less. Yeah. Maybe like 30. Yeah. 
So given the size of your school, was there a ro- uh, like a robust music program in your school? Because some of the funding for that has ebbed and flowed over the years. Sometimes it was available for schools and sometimes there was no music or art at all. Yeah, we were lucky. We were super lucky. It was when I was there, it was a husband and wife team. Um, this wonderful couple and the wife was the choir teacher and the husband was the musical director Mm -hmm. and they were just whatever they were bringing to the table was just really working we had like wonderful choirs wonderful musicals and a lot of talented kids but then you could say that it was the directors that were bringing it out of us as well um so yeah we just got lucky to have them i believe teachers are so crucial yeah having i mean bless all of them to a person because it's a hard gig and it seems to just get harder over time and now they've got to deal with personal safety threat to life and limb issues on top of it it's just it's it's beyond amazing to me all respect to all teachers totally uh, and a bad I mean, a bad teacher can break you too absolutely you know? I, I yeah i remember in college i dropped a class after one class because yeah. i i needed to take the class but i'm like i have to find another professor because i know this guy's gonna drone on mm-hmm. it's just it's just personality is only it's based purely on his personality uh i couldn't there's no way i was gonna do well in that class because i i'll, I'll take it from someone else but i can't take it from this guy um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear you had a good art program in your school. Now you're a very, uh, talented, uh, singer, right? You also play guitar, but who was there someone in your world? This is a question I ask a lot of people who, who are very accomplished singers. Was there someone in your world who made you want to sing? Someone you saw, was it a relative, a parent, a friend? Mariah Carey. I was going to say, was it Adele? <laughs> it was Mariah Carey. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always loved music and loved to sing, but when I heard her voice come through the radio, I just remember the moment, and I was just like, this is the best singer ever, (laughs) and I became obsessed Yeah, uh, for years, and yeah, I just listening to her, seeing her, I was like, oh, that's somebody who is a singer, so then I learned quickly after that. I could not sing her songs well, and it didn't sound good when I sang her songs, which was heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, see, that's not the, over it yet. That's the problem. Like, so many of us were drawn to musicians who are very, very talented. You know, there's a reason why they're household names. And so when people start playing, forgive the neighbor's dog if you can hear the yippy dog over there. There's nothing I can do about that here at the uh, Independence Day World headquarters. It's, it's baked into the cake. So, uh, you're, we start off emulating people who are extremely talented, whether they're talented writers or performers or singers or all of or dancers or all of the above. But then at some point we have to find our own voice, you know, as a performer, both literally as in terms of our instrument that we're born with, uh, as well as how we choose to use it. So, at what point did you figure out that concept that you couldn't emulate Mariah Carey, but you could be your own thing? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I discovered very early on that I wasn't going to be Mariah Carey. And then I discovered that when I sang along to like country radio, mm. that it really worked for my voice. And it's nothing that I really actually thought anything of. I was just like, oh, I sound, my voice sounds really good singing along to like Shania Twain or Trisha Yearwood. And um, I, but that that didn't really finding my own voice and who I am as a performer came way, way, way later. I would say I didn't even start um, 
really exploring that till I was like 25, like mid twenties, yeah. like very late. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just been, it's been a constant journey. Well, yeah, it is. We're all on our own path. There's yeah. no, I think, I mean, I feel like a lot of times people get hung up on benchmarks. Like, well, I should be doing this by this time. And, you know, we, social media exacerbates that. We have no choice but to measure ourselves against our peer group. Yeah. Whether they're in our own, own now we're, now it's worldwide. Now it's not just the people in our hometown. Now we see what Instagram people our people are post, posting on Instagram in Nashville and in New York and in Miami and in France and wherever yeah. they happen to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, that's a key moment. So we, was it like a light bulb moment for you or was it more of an evolution that you figured out that you, like your voice lent itself to that style? Oh, that was just, yeah, that was just very, I just knew that by singing along to the radio. And then when I got the opportunity to start singing, actually, when I came to LA, I started singing in a bluegrass band. And I've always, always been a harmony, drawn to harmony singing ever mm-hmm. since I was like 10 years old. And um, so it also like country music and harmony singing just totally goes hand in hand. So I was like, I can, I can do this. Like they're, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. Like I'm not from the South. Like I didn't think that that was something that I could do. Um, but then I found myself out here doing it. And I'm like, this is, this is so fun. I, I love this and I can sing it. I know these songs. Um, so yeah, you, you don't necessarily have to be <laughs> from, from Tennessee yeah. to sing. Well, of course, country music. Absolutely. <laughs> turns not. out. Well, look, having traveled around the country and, and somewhat around the world, people need to remember that 30 miles outside of every major American city is NASCAR country. Yep. Whether you're in California or Washington or New York or wherever, like you get to rural America and in some ways the rural states areas have more in common to each other than they do the urban areas of our country. The rural urban divide, I think is what they call that in like sociological circles where they study those things in college. Yeah. I am by no means a genius about that, but I have traveled <laughs> enough to know the difference. Mm-hmm. So uh, my guest this week on Independence Day, Leanne Skoda, that's two E's and two N's in Leanne. You can find everything you need to know about her at LeanneSkoda.com. She's got a new EP coming out just this week. Check it out on her website. You can follow her on Instagram at LSkoda. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash LeanneSkoda. The new EP is called Lucky Penny. We're going to hear a song from that right now. The song is called The Living Room. Let's check this out. Leanne Skoda on Independence Day. You don't know me But I
This is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing so. We had a long, 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 interminably long break for the pandemic. It was not safe to get musicians in a room together with other human beings. I mean, musicians are human beings, too, last time I checked, but we're back. I'm so happy to be back. We're all vaccinated here at the Independence Day World Headquarters, and all of our guests are as well. Live shows are starting back up again. We're going to talk about Leanne's upcoming show for her release of her new EP called Luck. Penny, that show is going to be at Club TG, that is on November the 7th, which is a Sunday. What time is that, Leanne? Is that an evening thing? Yeah, evening. 8 p.m. We'll probably start around 9. Cool. Uh, I can't, I mean, I, I hope my myself, I don't know that I'm in town, but I hope that I will be. I would love to come see that. You're going to play with a band? Yep, yep. Who's in the band? Are you at liberty to say? Yeah, um, I got my friend Kevin Brown on drums, who played on the record, my friend uh philip glenn he plays keys and violin which is a very cool combo yeah um cory tramantelli on bass and my friend dylan rodrigue on uh, electric guitar we know that tramantelli he is a close personal friend of mine plays on my record as well my upcoming record amazing i bumped into cory at uh i met him at uh do you remember uh rich hinman versus adam levy oh yeah one of my, it was my favorite band in Los Angeles before Rich and Adam moved back New York way. Loved going to see them play. It was Jay Belleros on drums and Jennifer Condos on bass. Brilliant, brilliant band. And I went to see them after a radio shift. They were playing somewhere in Hollywood on a weekday. And I was by myself because I was on my way home. And I noticed this kid sitting next to me. And at one of the breaks, I was like, yeah, they're pretty good, aren't they? And he's like, yeah, they're really great. And we just got to talking because I have a habit of talking to people around me wherever I am, for better or for worse. And we kind of hit it off. He's from the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. We exchanged phone numbers. And then at one point, he was on a tour. And he said, hey, when you get back, let's play together. And I said, great, let's do so. So then he played drums in my band for a while. And then, really? uh, yeah, he's a drummer too. Amazing. And then now he's playing bass. And uh, I love that guy. Oh, he's he's fantastic. No, yeah, I, and I, I love, love his sense of humor. Oh, yeah. He's, he is bizarre he's in the most wild, wonderful, wonderful way I can think of. So a shout out to C-Tram. Yeah. And that means I definitely have to come out to that show. That's right. Uh, but pick up the new EP. The new EP is called Lucky Penny. And it is sonically delicious. Uh, super cool production. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before we get there, I don't want to finish up the bio stuff because you came from Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, which born and bred, you know, born and bred, raised in Phoenix. But you've got some Midwest roots back before that. That's right. But tell me about. I don't. I don't know the music scene in Phoenix. I've toured through there a couple times. We basically played the big outdoor auditorium. It was a million degrees mostly, is what I remember. Um, but like, so you're coming out of high school. Did you go to college in the I area? I did. As well? I went to ASU. Yeah. Okay, so you're close mm-hmm. by. So yeah. you're like up in it. But what's so? So you're you're out of school and you're starting to write or play shows. And what's the scene like? Is it supportive? I don't. I just don't know anything about Phoenix. And when it comes to that, you know, I actually wasn't really playing shows in college. Okay. I was. Um, very shy. It was like a difficult adjustment, I think, for me coming from a very small school, going to ASU. And um, I was just kind of shy about exploring that side, which I, I always wanted to do. But um, I was in choir. I was like singing in choir. That was my outlet. And I wasn't really going out. I did. Of course, I went to shows. I was going out to like the Yucca Tap Room. Um the marquee theater that those are like you know some tempe spots and i just i loved going to shows Mm -hmm. um but i was yeah still a little too shy to pursue it myself or you know you know afraid of failure all that good stuff (laughs) 
Um, but there are some really cool spots in Phoenix to to go out and see music, and there's there's some great artists, and I love. I'm trying to get back there more now mm-hmm. since I kind of missed that part of um, being out and performing when I was like in college. And uh, yeah, it's great. There's some great spots, really great spots now. Um, okay, so you're going to see shows. Were you playing guitar by this point? Did you, had you picked that up? Not really, not really. I had my dad always played guitar growing up, and I just kind of like fiddled around on it a little bit. Okay, but not really seriously. Wow, you were late to the game on the guitar. Very, very late. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the uh, what was the inspiration? What made you pick up guitar? Because I mean, from my perspective, when I was a kid, like I loved singing. My mom was in the church choir, and I used to sit up in the choir loft, and I was introduced to multi-part singing at a very early age, so my brain could always pick out all the parts. You know, just music's in the DNA. Uh, and then doing choir in school all the way through college. Um, but I was, you know, I, I picked up the guitar because I, I always thought that I was too self-conscious to stand there and just sing. Mm. I wasn't sure that I could do the like David Lee Roth, Robert Plant thing where you're jumping around entertaining everybody. Like if I had a guitar, not only do I have a prop that I can hide behind, but I can also, I'm now I'm self-contained. Mm-hmm. I can accompany myself. What was the logic for you? Yeah, ac- accompanying myself for sure. And I always enjoyed, I gravitated toward the guitar, even though I didn't, I think I just didn't have the discipline, to be honest, like growing <laughs> up to to get good at an instrument. Because, yeah. you know, I could sing, I was involved in all these musical endeavors, but I was just, then when I got older and I didn't have those outlets anymore, I was like, okay, I want to keep doing music. I want to keep singing. I want to start writing songs and it's time I just pick up the guitar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's a lot easier than schlepping a piano around, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you, like, how does, I should say, how does one do that? I'll just, Mm -hmm. I'll specify it. How did you do that specifically? Was it the the classic, like, okay, I'll ask a friend which guitar I should buy and then go start to take lessons? Or did you do it completely on your own? Like free, free range? How did you do it? Um, I, let's see. I played um, one of my dad's Epiphone guitars for a while, for a couple of years. And then when I moved out to L.A., I went to Guitar Center and bought like a used Martin, which I loved mm-hmm. for a while. And I just started hitting up um, like open mics mm-hmm. and playing at like Farmer's Market. And then I met this bluegrass band called the Get Down Boys. And that's what really like shot my playing up because I was playing with all these players and I was singing with them. But mm-hmm. I was just like playing my guitar with them and shedding all those tunes got me so much better in a very yeah. quick amount of time. Bluegrass is no joke on yeah. the guitar. I mean, on any instrument. It is a very virtuosic uh, style of music. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole specific... Did you learn the proper bluegrass picking stuff? Because Sean Watkins was on my show here at one oh, point. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, super nice guy. Yeah. We both have an, uh, we're both uh, IPA aficionados. Nice. And I. Uh, bitter, bitter men. Very okay. bitter men. <laughs> at least when it comes to beer. But he left a pick here. I have a pick here somewhere. But the the proper style is you don't move your wrist. It's all from the elbow. Yeah. Like flat picking style. Did you like get down that road? I was more playing the rhythm stuff. and But the guys that I played with played like that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but, but your first chords though, you didn't just pick by a guitar and then show up at a 
at a, like an open mic. Like you, someone yeah. had to teach oh, you chords. Oh, my dad taught me when I was okay. little. Like, yeah, my dad taught me chords for sure. Okay. So I just didn't really practice or That's what I was it. getting at. Like okay. where was that seed? Where, where did that come from? So oh, that yeah. was already in there. Oh, for sure. First Got it. chords and all. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Phoenix went to Arizona State. What was your uh, major? What did you study music? Um, I was a music major going in and then I switched to journalism. Ah, very nice. So oh, you and I have some other things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of things to talk about. Uh, so why Los Angeles? Because be, had you figured out the country music thing by that time or did that happen after you moved here? No, it's a it's quite an interesting um <laughs> path i went from asu and then i wanted to go abroad and live in like live in a spanish-speaking country because i've always loved the language about espanol see si. see si, me espanol is muy mal <laughs> no es bueno es- entiendo yo, yo soy inocente te, te entiendo <laughs> um so i went to spain and i taught english there for two years and while I was there, I kind of started singing in bands, and I was like, this is the life I was meant to live. I mm. love this. We're going out, we're singing in little bars and clubs, and I'm having the time of my life. So I was like, I need to just give this a try and come back to the States, because I, you know, and then, I mean, I've always been, like, listening to bluegrass folk and country music, um, and so then when I came and found, fell in with that band, that was kind of the first time that I was playing that music in public mm-hmm. and adopted some of the country writing style in my first record, which I'm, you know, kind of moving away from now, but it was really, really yeah. fun for a while. Like so many people, and definitely for myself, I feel like music chose me. I didn't choose it. Absolutely. I, I can't not do it. I have no choice. It's yeah. a compulsion. It's a navigation. That, that very phrase comes up a lot in my world. Um, I joke that I would have a nicer stereo, <laughs> a better car, um, probably a better living situation, much more stable romantic personal relationships over the years, having made different life choices. But I, I, these are the choices. I, I, have, I'm, I have no choice but to make these choices. Uh, any case, my guest on Independence Day this week, Leanne Skoda. Let's play a live song. What's, right. uh, what's this first one you've got queued up for us here? I'm going to do a song from this new EP called I Believe. So happy to have live music back here on Independence Day. Happy to have Leanne Skoda sitting with me here in the World Headquarters. She's going to play a song for us. That song is called I Believe. It is from the EP, which is called Lucky Penny. Check this out. Leanne Skoda on Independence Day. I look down. I don't see the path before my feet. I look up, don't see the signs in the stories I roll my eyes when they say you was meant to be Talking with the tree, he was wise. 
is all my plan I see everyone's to blame But I'm a mystic with a sun's hand I made a wish and locked it up and threw away the key Then I forgot because I don't believe in destiny But I look at you and the heavens open up for me That is the song, I Believe, on Independence Day. The artist is Leanne Skoda. Check her out at leannskoda.com. That's two E's and two N's. She's also on Instagram at lskoda, Facebook at Leanne Skoda. And uh, man, great stuff. Love it. Dig it, dig it, dig it. That song, incidentally, has, you're welcome, has the same title as my agnostic gospel song from my most recent record, uh, I Believe. So uh, that's that's kind of the inspiration for yours, too? Yeah, like... um... I'm I'm a person who I I think that I'm pretty logical and kind of have a skeptical bent and um but at heart I'm a romantic, mm-hmm. you know, and so I was just kind of confronting that dichotomy mm-hmm. in that song. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you, sister. I got you like locked in there. Yeah. Uh yeah, cuz I I wanted to do something kind of similar and our choruses are somewhat similar. I mean, mine's like I believe what I can see with my eyes, I believe what I can hold in my hands, I believe what I hear in my ears. Um, in, in a world uh, where belief in science has now become somehow optional, yeah, I feel like saying those things to people, even in subliminal ways, like in a song, is very, very important. So kudos to you for doing so. Thank you. Dig it. And it sounds super cool. I highly encourage all of you listeners out there to go pick up this EP because it sounds... Just the sonics of this record are super cool. And I would say it's a departure or at least an evolution based on what I've heard from you before. That first record you released, 2018, uh, Back Home, or sorry, Call Me Back Home. Yeah. A little more traditional. Yeah. Country-ish singer, songwriter kind of thing. But this new record, like when I think of when I popped it on, what I heard, it's like uh, there are hints of, of twang in there. Yeah. Right? There's some violins. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as if it's 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 sonically more modern sounding. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like it when a, a particular album has a sonic imprint. Mm. And this definitely has it. Like, you can tell that there's compression on the overhead cymbals. Mm-hmm. And the snare's got a nice room on it, and it's got some cool compression on it. And there's some ethereal, synthy stuff woven into there. So yeah. I really dig the direction that you're going in. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, was this your choice to go in this direction? It was kind of just, it's just kind of what happened when I met, I met this producer. He's a friend of, my friend's producer, my friend Jason Hawk Harris um, has worked with him for a really long time. And we were just kind of, I was telling him, I have all these new songs. I'm kind of unsure about what direction I want to go. And he's like, did you like the way my record sounded? And I was like, yeah. He's like, let me introduce you to my producer and let's you guys okay. talk and we did and then and then a year or, or less than a year later we were in the studio in his house in nashville making songs 
Yeah, and I I really think how do I say this? It, like there's to me there's a logical growth or evolution from your prior record to this one. Like you sound more confident. Mm. Like your voice is great on both of those. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to give the wrong idea. Uh, it's it's great. But this new one, I feel like you've brought it to a different level. Yeah. I feel like when I listen to this and I listen to it, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Like mm-hmm. the, the writing sounds uh, tighter. Yeah. Uh, the melodies sound more, um, or I say less traditional, I should yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're pushing, your, I feel like if you're pushing yourself. Right, yeah. It sounds like to me. Uh, and then in your bio somewhere, I remember reading, it said like most of these songs came from like one particular fertile period. Yeah. Like did that just land in your lap or was it, did you f- physically set yourself aside to do that? Or how did that, like how did you foment that kind of creative juice? Like yeah. That thing? Um, my, it was a friend of mine, Emily Herndon. She's a wonderful singer and songwriter. And um, she was like, have you ever done a 30 days of writing a song a day? And uh. I was like, no, I I don't know if I can do that. And she's like, well, I'll do it with you if you want to try. And so we did. And we would send each other songs every day. And even if I had to work a full day, Mm. I would sit down and write a song. I wrote, I believe, after working like a 14-hour day. Mm -hmm. Like the beginnings of what that song was, you know? Yeah. And that was just such an important time of growth for me. And pushing myself to just get those those songs out, you know? And then then, um, Andy Freeman, my producer also listened to so many demos and was also very like did we did a lot of pre-production in the songs or at least Mm -hmm. more than i had in the past and just like hey i think this one needs another chorus or we need to put something different in here in the song and we worked a lot on that on the for these songs yeah yeah produce uh having a producer uh makes a big big difference someone you trust uh, musically, emotionally, <laughs> financially, obviously, uh, and it for me it really, really shows on this. Um, but was there anything else that changed between the two records about like because it's such a I, I don't want to make it sound like the last one was Gillian Welch and this new one is Metallica. It's not like that. Like there's a through line. It's still you. It's still your music and your voice, which is great. Um, but was there anything else that changed in your life that precipitated that kind of evolution? I mean, yeah, there was. I think, well, the writing a song a day was really, really helpful to to have my style come through. Because mm. when I made Call Me Back Home, I was um, playing a lot of bluegrass music. I was playing a lot of like Americana country stuff. So I definitely pushed myself in that direction and in, in that record. Um, because that's the kind of shows I was playing. Those were the kind of musicians I was hanging around with. But actually, when I sit down and write, that's not really what really comes through naturally. I have more of a pop bent, you know, Mm -hmm. from years of listening to 90s (laughs) radio, whatever. That stuff really comes through. So um, I just kind of let myself find my own style, my own voice. Yeah, that's a key phrase. You let yourself find your own style. Yeah. That's a very key phrase. And I think now we stumbled. Like, I always feel like the truth is evident once it tumbles out. Yeah. And, like, that to me is, like, the truest thing we've said so far. Uh-huh. So, so I'm glad that you did so because I really do dig it. It sounds really, really great. When I think of, when I, I popped it on and was listening, doing my notes for this episode, um, uh, Sarah McLaughlin's Fumbling Towards Ecstasy oh, record yeah. came up, which I think is a brilliant brilliant record. Pierre Marchand, her producer, is responsible for a lot of those sonics. Mm. 
because you know she could just as easily be a breathy pop singer, but there's gravitas to that production, and it's like there are drum loops weaving in and out and like synthy stuff. But like I always, I come from the world where I feel like you should have to be issued a permit to use a synthesizer, yeah, because it gets overused, right, right, it, right. If used properly, it's brilliant. Like yeah. Pink Floyd can do it. Um, you know, certain bands just do it so well, but other people just abuse it. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, so and on that record, also uh, Kathleen Edwards. Her records, uh, she's an artist out of Canada. Uh, she took a long break. She's just come back, started making records again. Falls loosely in the Americana realm, but mm-hmm. has kind of veered into... Um, she dated the guy from Bon Iver for a while, Justin okay. Vernon, so he produced one of her records, and yeah. it had that kind of like spacious kind of thing. Okay, And then cool. she now she's kind of splitting the difference between that and like somewhat kind of an Americana singer-songwriter thing. Okay. And I, it's, that's what it, your, your music is reminiscent cool. of to okay. me. And I love her I music. I love that. Uh, such, it's, it's, I say it's delicious. That's the word I kept coming back to when I was listening. Wow, like, Ooh. that's so cool. And I played it for my girlfriend. She's like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like I, I dig I dig the new direction. And if, you're, if I get a vote, I say you should continue in that direction. Um, now, you recorded Lucky Penny in Nashville, mm-hmm. but you live in L.A. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure there's a few recording studios around L.A. Why yeah. did you choose to work in Nashville? The producer, Andy's out there, and he has a home studio, really beautiful home studio there, and that's why we did it there. Okay, yeah, that's a simple should, answer. Yeah. <laughs> so how long, when you, you go out to do Nashville, like how long would you go? Like for a week at a time, we a did couple days, a month? a lot of, we did, it was two weeks. We did a lot of work in those two weeks. Um, and then these were not the only songs we recorded. We recorded a large batch of songs. And then I went out one more time. We did a few days of uh, some, you know, redid some vocals and okay. some overdub stuff. And you did mix it there too? He mixed it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, good work. Like I, in my notes, I've got written down, like I've got an earthier radio head. Because you're not I all the way that. to you're not all the way to Radiohead because they're, they've been doing what I call broken cast register music now for a few records. Yeah, I like it, but they've <laughs> they've gone even farther down their own road to where they're I'm not even they're they're completely their own thing. Yeah, now. that's a really high praise. Thank you. Yeah, so much. I've got the the Sarah McLaughlin thing on there. Yeah, it's got like these languid tempos, which I think is mm-hmm. is cool because I think young artists. Like they've they've got a lot to prove and they've got a lot to say and so it's like the tempos are like fast and all these ideas but like you I don't know if it's the producer or you or a combination of the two but like you left the space because slower tempos there's more room between the notes for push and pull and yeah and the space is so it just sounds mature in a good way cool yeah um I also really like the uh singing you've got a great voice so that's front and center but. On the song Troublemaker, there's a long kind of instrumental, I'd call it a ride out. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, again, I, I, this is the second Pink Floyd reference or Radiohead reference I'll give, but uh-huh. like letting the music, mm-hmm. the non-singing part of it, have a, 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 a sonic space, Yeah, you know, is a cool thing. So was that was that your thing? Or was that the oh, producer's yeah. thing or both of you? Both of yeah, you's? that was, I remember having that conversation early on in our like pre-production meetings and I'd remember saying, oh, we should have, we should just jam out on this for a long time. Yeah, okay. And he was like, what do you mean jam? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably a lot of singer-songwriters don't talk about yeah. putting a <laughs> jam section in their in their songs. But yeah, I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about vibing with the players and yeah. that energy. And y- using, well, using, with a, a group of musicians that you choose to be on a particular song or particular project, you, they're like colors on a palette. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, if it's like James Taylor, you know, singing about the Berkshires, you know, it's pretty limited what there is there. So it's a lot of it's going to be vocal focused. But I, I just personally love it when bands take the time to let the band play. Yeah. If the players are great and the music is great, and obviously it is in this case, let them do their thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the my ear really likes those that break from the singing. I love singing. Same. It's so important. So kudos to you for that. Oh, thank you. Um, how about another live song? What's this? Uh, what's, right. What have you got next for us here? Yeah, let's do the title track, Lucky Penny. All right, Leanne Skoda on Independence Day. This is the track Lucky Penny. As she said, the title track. You should go see her play just this weekend at Club TG. That's on Glendale Boulevard here in beautiful Los Angeles. You said in the neighborhood of 8 p.m.? Yeah. 8 p.m.-ish. Great band. Bring your mask, and I hope you're all vaxxed because we need to keep doing live shows. As I said, Leanne Skoda, the song Lucky Penny on Independence Day. Lucky Penny, 1989 In the copper land I'm gonna go back again Not too many things I've left behind That I would take the hand Of any old friend I guess I must be in the desert Heat in my bones And light in my eyes I'm going back But not how I left it Tracing every cracked And crooked line <laughs> Lucky for me Nineteen Tracing every crack and crooked line 
All righty, all righty, Leanne Skoda. I almost said, all right, all right, all right. Leanne Skoda on Independence Day. That is the track Lucky Penny, which is the title track from her new EP. It's available at her website, LeanneSkoda.com. Are you on Bandcamp and that kind of thing as well? I am on Bandcamp, yeah. Yeah, it'll it'll be up on Bandcamp. And of sure. course, all the local, all the, the usual streaming spots, Spotify, et cetera. And then we get our nickel and they get our dollar. That's how that works. But look, the music gets out there and the live shows are where it's at. Uh, let's let's keep going with this. I'm having a wonderful time talking to you. I'm digging the music a lot. I can't thank you for enough for coming in here and doing this. Talk a little bit about your writing and kind of your performing style a little bit. Mm. Because one thing, having sat and watched you do this here, uh, you're very quiet mm. when you perform, which is nice because it gives you more dynamic range on top when you do decide to get loud. Yeah. You know, I've always read that Paul Simon is a very quiet performer. It's challenging, like on a stage. Because that means you have to turn the microphones up that much more, turn your guitar up that much more. Maybe feedback issues become a thing. Mm-hmm. But in the right environment, because I'm, is it is it a challenge for you to sing in bars? Because that's being a quiet singer. When I try to play my quieter material and I'm in a bar, like it just gets lost. Yeah, I mean, I've played to you know I've played in quiet bars. <laughs> I've played in loud bars. Yeah. Um, I just try and give my best performance no matter what. You know, I do have some tunes now with, that are get louder mm-hmm. and that I can play with a full band. But yeah, I, I really like to employ a lot of dynamics when I play. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool. Um, we you talked about where we where you found your voice as a singer. Like Mariah Carey was kind of like the first guidepost. But then when you started singing, you know, earthier country styles, like who were those artists that kind of, because, you know, Mariah Carey, as far as I know, has yet to do a country record. Yeah, no, I would say Mariah Carey was a very, very early influence. (laughs) Yeah, of course. um, But I really got into, she's more of a, I guess you would call it folk nowadays, but Anais Mitchell. Okay. Um, I love Gillian Welch. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I got yeah, really into those. I've always loved like Alison Krauss. Her singing is just oh my god, perfect. <laughs> Can I tell you a quick story yeah. about Alison Krauss? Uh, I I love going to the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival up in Golden Gate Park every early October in San Francisco. Perfect, most best curated music festival I've ever been to by a light year or more. Amazing, great great artists, great setting, nice weather, nice yeah. people. Um, and on Friday night one year, a few years ago, Alison Krauss played, and I went with my friend and former guitar player who now lives up there. And we were back a ways. She was on the main stage, and like like my friend's name's Tyler. So we said, let's let's just scoot up. You know, you and I, like, we left the girls with the dogs for a few minutes, and we went up just to listen up close. And we got within, you know, 30 feet or so of the stage, and she's singing. And I kid you not, people are openly weeping. Wow. Because her voice is so beautiful. Now, mm-hmm. I know this sounds perhaps hyperbolic and, you know, maybe a little overwrought, but I am, I'm not lying to you in the least. And I myself, like, we were just transfixed. Yeah. I've seen her play before, and it's always like that. But she's got this angelic voice, mm-hmm. unlike anyone else I've ever heard, where you, if you sit and, like, let it wash over you, like, I got misty-eyed just yeah. listening to it. That's unbelievable voice. Right. Un- and she went, she's from about 50 miles from where I went to college in central Illinois. She's from right? Champaign, Illinois. Oh. Oh, I didn't know that. Downstate on Interstate 57 on the okay. way down towards Southern Illinois. Wow. And her, 
a friend of mine from college used to like babysit her family or vice versa or something like that. So there was some like weird There's a connect. connection. There's a oh. connect in there somewhere. That's good. Um, so we talked about the singing thing, but when it comes to writing, because yeah. writing, you talked about the 30-day writing challenge. Um, but when you went to find your voice as a writer, right? Because that's a different voice than your voice as a singer. Absolutely. Where did you find that? Like, so you did the work, right? You put in your 10,000 hours or at least 30, whatever it took to do the 30-day thing. Yeah. But were there songwriting inspirations, right? Not, not that you necessarily needed to emulate that person, but someone's like, well, I want to write. When you say I want to write like that person, I don't mean like the song, but the truth about what they're saying. Right. Who were those people? Well, I would, I guess I would say that Gillian Welch and Aeneas Mitchell are some big, um, like they were some writers that challenged me a lot because mm. um, their songs are just so, so good. And the visual details that, you know, the show not tell mm. thing, they were both so good at that. And then I have, you know, like old influences that are just coming through that I might not be conscious of. Like we were talking about Tom Petty. Like I was listening to Wildflowers recently and I realized, oh my God, so much of what I do is just in this record mm -hmm. that I'm just unconscious of. So I think he's coming through a lot. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of Radiohead. I really like gravitate toward pretty music. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when I was younger, I listened to a lot of them. So I think that, kind of stuff comes out um of course Beatles yeah <laughs> so a lot of like just really deep influences and then consciously um yeah Gillian and A.S. Mitchell my my peers um my friends mm -hmm. these days that are great writers my friend Dylan Rodrigue my friend Emily Herndon um Cece Benhoff so many peers that I just yeah look up to um yeah. It's great to have talented friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a phrase I like to use often. I feel extremely blessed in that. Oh regard. my God. Yeah. Um, so we, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that 30 day sure. thing because it seems like a lot of this material that we're hearing today. Uh, and there's an, I know there's, you said there's another EP not too far behind this one that's about to come out. It's going to yep. come out, but so there's more material. Yep. Um, how far were you into that 30 day thing? Because the, the example I always use for this, like the Eureka moment, uh, uh, are you familiar with the Jayhawks? Yeah. The song Blue. Um, Where have all my friends gone? Uh, it's the first song on Tomorrow the Greengrass record. Okay. Great song. Their biggest song. Uh, the, there were two guys in the band at that time, Mark Olson and Gary Loris. And they said as soon as they wrote that song, they were like, yeah. Mm. They knew right away, this is great. Mm -hmm. This is good. You know, Whether we wrote it or not, it's not so much like, it doesn't mean we're great. It means the song is great. For you, in yeah. that 30-day thing, how far into it were you before you had a eureka moment? Actually, I think that I I think that I had a eureka moment prior to that with writing The Living Room. Mm -hmm. And it was before I did that 30-day thing. Um, I was just like, okay, this is the kind of stuff that, like, I like would like to do more of. Like, mm -hmm. this feels really good. It feels interesting and cool and like it's not country it's it's not really yeah. like simple um and that kind of helped push those songs in that direction yeah mm -hmm. yeah jason isbell 
songwriter, was in Drive By Truckers for a while, made a big name for himself now in the past 10 years or yeah. so. He And he's not the only one who says this. I mean, he gets it from other people, too. He goes back to John Prine and John Hyatt, the same people I go back to. Oh, yeah. They talk about truth, mm. like capital T, truth. You know, and you hewing as close to that as you can. You can write about anything you want. You can sing about anything you want. The song can be about anything, any length, any key, any rhyme scheme or not rhyme at all. Mm -hmm. But that's the part that can't not be there. Yeah. Even if it's a silly song, I think it has to be truthful. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me like you've, w through effort or happenstance or whatever, like you were always a good singer, but now you're, you've, you're like plumbing those depths and like coming closer to that truth of you as an artist and as a writer. Absolutely. And then it, I feel like at that point, like those the parallel journeys of an artist as a performer and as a writer, because mm -hmm. not all not all musicians do both. Right. You know. Right. And I think when you're, I hate to use the, the label singer songwriter. Mm -hmm. I'm one too, whether yeah. I like it or not. As are you. Right. Um. It, that's anyone who sings and performs their own music is it's a very big yeah. bucket. But you're hewing closer to that truth, and it's and, and I think the results are great. Thank you. Uh, so now we talked about, you know, singing in choirs and that kind of thing and how it kind of got you, you know, you figured out that your your instrument by your voice lent itself to a more country style for a while. Now you're veering kind of, not as back and forward at the same time, like looking back at different influences oh, yeah. and drawing from different mm -hmm. places. But as a music major, yeah, like what, like you studied music because mm -hmm. not everyone who does this studies music or yeah. studied music. Mm -hmm. So... Are you employing like your music theory class when you're writing? It's like, oh, yeah, I, I should do a four chord here. Nope. Or you just do it by feel. All ear. I've always been an ear person. Yeah. Like even before I knew anything about theory, I would, I, I didn't like piano lessons because I just wanted to play stuff by ear when I was a kid. Um, didn't like sight reading. Then I had to learn sight reading in, in high school, you know, to be in choir. Um, so yeah, I just more of an ear person or feeling things out on guitar, but I don't, I don't think about theory when I'm writing at all. At all, okay. No, I mean if if someone tells me, oh yeah, this song goes to one, four, or five, whatever, uh -huh. I you know I know that. Yeah. And it definitely helps me, yeah. but I've just always been so far on the ear side of things mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I stay there. But you know enough of the common language that if you bring mm -hmm. in Corey Tremontelli, you say... Yes. You know, yeah. you say, oh, this, you know, we need to go to the minor two here. Right. Do you, you comprehend what you're saying when you say that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that, that's... I'm always curious to ask musicians about, like, where that line is for them. Mm -hmm. Because I know some extremely talented people who never studied music theory whatsoever. Right. And they're playing chord substitutions, and they don't even know they're doing it. Right. They don't know what to call it, but they're doing it anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a language that you can learn. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can speak English without being able to read it. Exactly. It's the same kind of concept, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but is there anything from the studying of music? Because were you a vocal principal with your music degree? It was, yeah. Yeah, voice. Okay. Yeah. So was there something that you learned then that you're applying now? I have no idea, to be completely <laughs> honest. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, you must, you sang in choirs, so you learned harmony singing. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I look back on some videos of me singing at that time, and my voice was just so strong. I had no idea. To be honest, at the time, I felt, because I was in the company of such like amazing musicians and singers, I kind of felt, and it was like kind of the route of you're going to be an opera singer or you pick Broadway or you're mm -hmm. a music teacher. And I, there was like not another 
option for me mm-hmm. as far as I knew in that context. Um, so there's all these amazing like operatic performance majors and I kind of felt lost in the mix. I just, I yeah. really loved going to my voice lessons. I loved going to the choir. Um, but I, I think that I did internalize a lot and I was really strong at the time, but I just couldn't tell because I was just amongst mm-hmm. like greatness yeah. <laughs> that you, which is always how it is. And now yeah. I know that like yeah. anytime you're, playing with people who are better than you you can't you don't see yourself getting better yeah but then you can look back and be like oh wow i i got a lot better because of that and i learned a lot um but yeah my music school experience was you know (laughs) it was okay yeah well the choir thing is invaluable yeah it was a really good choir my experience is somewhat similar to yours in that when i look back at it it was an absolute joy to sing because my choir met every school day yeah. So five days a week, and then so it was an hour Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it was ninety minutes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm. So that's five hours plus an extra hour, so six hours a week, not counting anything else that we were doing. Right, singing mm-hmm. with thirty, forty people constantly, and almost all acapella, which is my favorite choral music. Oh is acapella. yeah, my that's favorite. Awesome. Do you have Rachmaninoff's Vespers? No. Oh, and this is for the this is for the listener too. There was a record, uh, the Bruffy version won a Grammy for best choral album a few years ago. Okay. Um, I've got multiple versions of Rachmaninoff's Vespers, and I think you would totally dig it. I'm gonna check it out. Good, good stuff. So it seems to me, Leanne, you, you where you are now um, has come from a combination of studying it and not studying it. Yeah. Like researching it, but then also feeling your way through it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, Everyone's got their own path, and there's no right or wrong way to do it. And what the resulting my you know like Tom Petty, like my uh, ethos is: if it sounds good, it is good. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't care how you got there. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna hear, play a song in just a second. But before you go, there's another. There's like a there's a shadow looming over this, which is you switch to journalism. Yeah. And, and that is a related field to songwriting. Mm-hmm. I feel almost directly. You know who was a journalist before he got famous was Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits was a journalist in newspapers. Really? And no there's way. been other people as well who because you when you're a journalist you have to have that observational eye. Yeah. That keen eye. So do you think that there are things from the journalism that you've kind of brought into music? I do, absolutely. I think talking to lots of different people about a uh, lots of different things and then having to put that into a concise article and mm-hmm. um which is not unlike songwriting um did help a lot and getting you know getting me to open up a little bit to be able to, like be a little bit less shy to have to call yeah. people that you've never talked to before yeah. and like ask them about <laughs> Whatever. God knows what. Yeah. yeah. The plane um, crash, the football victory, right. the murder, the birth, the death, the wedding, yeah. the whole the whole nine yards. All of it. Yeah. I, th- I think it definitely did, for sure. Did you work in journalism mm-hmm. after school? Uh, well, I actually had a job in school at the Arizona Republic as a breaking mm-hmm. news reporter. Okay. Yeah. Would you do it again? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of... Produ- I, I tend to produce news, done a lot of production of news, most, mostly uh, auditory media like radio and podcasting now, more, more the latter nowadays. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a weird thing to be involved in it because it's the super cliche, but you've heard if it bleeds, it leads. Exactly. And That's why I wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's so much 
negative stuff. Yeah. Because people are drawn to a death. People are drawn to a murder, a mass shooting, uh, uh, someone who didn't do what they're supposed to. But I'll leave you with this and then we'll play a song. I promise I'm going to keep the story short. I produced an interview with, I think his name's, uh, I think it's David McCraw. He was one of the lawyers for the New York Times. And in this interview, he said something that had never even occurred to me. He's like, you know, journalists by nature um, are like truth tellers in a way. Yeah. Because they, people don't get into journalism because everything is going well. Right. People go into journalism because they see an inequity in the world. And they feel uh, drawn to address that. Mm. And by illuminating the problem, then society can address it. Yeah. No, this is a meta issue, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But I think that there, it's like you said a minute ago, it's tied directly to that songwriting idea. Whether it's a personal thing or something you observe about life on earth or elsewhere, um, physical, metaphysical, whatever, finding a way to channel that and explain it to people or at least illuminate it, I think that's what draws people to music. Totally. Absolutely. All right. That was heavy. I feel like that was really heavy. Was now that let's heavy? lighten up with a song <laughs> about quitting everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the one that we're doing next, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Checking out. I love the idea for this. Where did you get the idea for this? The song is called I'm Done. Where did you get the idea for this? I suppose from, from life. Um, I think I've just, I probably heard, you know, the phrase in my head, I'm done. And then the rest kind of came and I kind of just, you know, thought about the musician life and how it's not always easy. And probably everybody reaches a point where you're like, should I just get a regular job? And, yeah. you know, um, yeah. So that's what this one's about. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I was talking uh, another episode we did recently uh, was with Beth Goodfellow, mm -hmm. an amazing artist. She's doing a lot of her own music now, played with Iron and Wine, played with Madison Cunningham for a while. Uh, she's got some new, really cool stuff. You should check out that episode as well. Um, and just how this life can be portrayed as glamorous because you're on stage and there's lights and everyone has to listen to you because you've got a microphone and a PA system and maybe a loud guitar too. Um, but a lot of times it kind of sucks, you know? And I don't want to like, or at least there are sucky things about it. Yeah. Because how many, Leon, how many Tuesday night gigs to the three people have you played in your life? <laughs> I would say at least 50. Yeah, more than you can count. And that's the thing. Yeah. You are a very, very good artist. Your songs are great. Your new EP is great. You're a great singer. And you're playing to empty, or have played to empty rooms. And that's what I'm getting at is that this isn't about you. Every musician has done that. Right. And they continue to do so. Some gigs are just like that. Yeah. You know, it's not all limousines and cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, It's sitting in lobbies and like self-doubt and anxiety and yeah. it's all the foibles of being a human mm -hmm. um, and then layer on top of that this need to express yourself artistically yeah yeah it's a trip man it's a trip man <laughs> that's the other truth thank you Leanne alright this is the song I'm Don Leanne Skoda on Independence Day that's right and try and the words don't come I spin around till I'm all undone I will stay when I want to run Yeah, I'm done trying to be someone Well, I can play the fast guitar Free drinks all night at the bar Pass the 
Leanne Skoda on Independence Day. Check her out at leannescoda.com. Also check her and her band out at Club TG. That's on Sunday, November the 7th. Going to play songs from Lucky Penny and other things as well. And my own close personal friend, Corey Tremontelli, is playing bass in that show. Love that guy. Love to know that we have him in common. Such a cool, fun dude. He brings joy to things and this like crazy perspective on totally. things. Totally. Yeah. I love absolutely. It. I love it. Everyone should have a friend like Corey Tremontelli, or they should just have him yeah. as their friend. We should, maybe we should license him out. We should clone him and license him out. Oh, uh, that's a business idea. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this. I know that you do some side work as a musician. Yeah. At this point in your career, well, so how did that start? Like you start writing your own songs, mm-hmm. uh, obviously a great voice, but how did you start getting calls? paid calls to go play with other folks because when I look at your resume you're singing with Noah Cyrus who's part of the Billy Joe slash Miley Cyrus like royal family uh, Psychic Temple Jason Hawk Harris like how did you get calls like how did that become an aspect of your music career you know I think in a lot of ways that is kind of my approach to to meeting musicians and playing as I um like we were talking about just like singing harmonies has been a huge door for me into meeting people into playing gigs that's kind of my thing it's my niche so I started um you know I would if I heard somebody that I loved I would approach them and say hey 
I love your songwriting. If you ever want someone to come, you know, sing harmonies with you, I would love to do that. And um, so, so it happened. <laughs> and also, make it sound so easy. I mean, <laughs> that was easier than going out and just like playing shows by myself, you know, yeah. like to, you know, whatever open mics. It was so much more fun for me to just like be with someone on stage and sing harmonies. Um, so I feel, you know, lucky that I've had that avenue. Um, and then I started singing and playing with my good friend, Jesse Peo, who's mm -hmm. been an L.A. musician for years and years. She's amazing. Um, I you know, we started playing together. And so then I kind of, as a new guitar player, just kind of started figuring out different parts that would work around her rather than like playing the same thing, just, you know, are you like picking rather to accompany her strumming? And then it kind of evolved that way. And then, um, just a few other friends have had me do it for them. And yeah, it's still one of my favorite things to do is just play and sing with other people. And I wouldn't say just like, take the just out of that sentence because I feel like, <laughs> It's, I, I learned that from my mother. My mother would say, well, I just want to do this. I just want to do that. And over the years, I thought, you know, mom, just take the just out. You yeah. Don't, you don't need the just because that in a way makes you, or like makes me think, well, that's all I want is this. But you it, you can streamline it and just say, well, I want that. You know, I don't, I don't want to like get all into like the secret and manifesting <laughs> and all that other kind of stuff. Let's manifest this. But I, but I, but I do think that, uh, you know, you say what you want out loud. You yeah. Know? And sometimes it's like just hearing it yourself. Yeah. Even if it's yourself saying it, just hearing it from somebody, even if it's your own voice, like does kind of in a weird way manifest it. Or or like, I don't know, like I said, I don't want to get all hokey about it, but, you know, there's... The universe rewards action is a phrase that I like to use a lot because I find myself like when I get depressed about things because it's a hard life in music and we've been dealing with a pandemic and life is very complicated at this part of the world uh, at this stage of human society. So I get in these little eddies and I go around in circles and you know we're trying to find the Netflix end screen or we're, I don't know, wasting time. There's infinite ways to waste times, waste time on digital screens right now. Right, yeah. But that doesn't, you know, there are no new fans in your living room. There are no potential listeners who are going to buy your record in your dining room. There are no venues in your lawn unless you do a show there. Right. So getting out into the world is such a crucial thing. Right. But how did you get from like just asking your friends, like how, how, did, how did that turn into a paid gig? Did there, was there a point where you were like, hey, I need 50 bucks? Or had you worked yourself into a realm kind of either intentionally or just by happenstance that they were paid gigs? Um, well, the, the people that I was playing with had been doing it for a lot longer than me. For example, Jesse Peo had been playing around LA for years and years. So she was a huge, um, you know, reason that I, that I met a lot of people that I did, um, because she, you know, she's bringing me along to all these paid gigs and I was in the get down boys, the bluegrass band, they're all playing paid gigs. They weren't paying a lot, yeah, but it was something. Something's so that's, better than nothing. Yeah, so I, you know, I was starting off getting paid-ish gigs, you know, pretty much within the first year I was out here, and then it just kind of just grew. And the more people you meet, the more people you meet, and then hopefully you do a good job that somebody calls you back again, and yeah. it kind of evolves from there. 
yeah, it's funny. I'd be curious to know what your thought is because, like, when I was playing gigs when I was like 22, it's like free beer. Woohoo! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll play all night for free beer, right? And then you get to be like 32 and you're like, I got, I got more beer than I know what to do with. Right. You know? So, like, my rule is it's got to be one of three things pay, audience, or like food and drinks. Mm. And there's a hierarchy. Okay. Pay is number one. Okay. Right? Yeah. But maybe there's a giant audience. Now, if there's a giant audience, it's more likely to pay. Yeah. But if there's a big audience there, okay, maybe I'll do it for less money. Yeah. Or at a bare minimum, food and drinks. Mm -hmm. But that's least desirable of the three. Yeah. Yeah. And like the sideman one is, do you like the music? Does it pay? And do you like the people? Yeah. Crucial, crucial thing. We talked about that with Beth as well when we were on there because we got to remember most of the time you're not like if you're on a tour, most of the time you're not performing. Maybe you're performing right. two hours a day. Maybe, you know, maybe you do an in store or like a radio promo thing in the afternoon. And that's a couple, two tree songs, as we say in Chicago. Uh huh. But, you know, mostly you're in hotels and vans and, and airport. And I'm repeating myself from the Beth Goodfellow interview a little bit, but. The, the personality aspect is so crucial. Yeah, that's true. There's just a vibe. And it ties into the record as well. Like, you know, the, the vibe of the player. and Absolutely. Sometimes you just catch something. Yeah. Um, now how many of the side gigs are you playing guitar on as well? Is it always both? Is it mostly voice? Mm, I would say it's maybe split. Yeah. 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Uh, let's talk about this. Let's Because we're talking about you know, side work and shows, and that kind of ties into this this topic, one of our last topics, which is like live shows. Mm -hmm. They're starting to come back. Like, are you starting to go out and do gigs in spots? And are you, are they in red states and blue states? Are you, you're vaccinated. Yeah. But are you, where are you in terms of being concerned about being in a room with 5,000 people or 200 people or or what have you as a performer? Yeah, it was it's interesting because the stakes are so it's it has changed so different so much for me right now because at the beginning I was probably far more concerned about, you know, getting and spreading covid and now of course I I don't want that. But now if I would get covid I would be out, you know, 2 weeks of work. Right. Whereas at the beginning of the pandemic, I didn't have any work, so I would have just been home anyway. Right. And now, so now there's that. Um, so I'm definitely cautious um, with this, you know, these groups of shows that I just did recently. We had to take a test every time, you know, we played a show like before travel and then after we got home. So there are precautions you can take, and I'm just like super careful. I probably wouldn't want to be playing tons of packed tight room shows. Um, that yeah. kind of ekes me out, but I'm just like somewhere in the middle between like, you know, I'm being cautious, but also not like terrified every day, yeah. you know, because I just don't want to live that way. Yeah. Well, it becomes a choice at one point, you know, for people who make their nut, make their bread and butter from performing because let's face it, we don't make money from records anymore. Right. I mean, almost anyone I've ever talked to, unless you're, you know, Tom Petty's estate is getting money from Spotify, you know, yeah. but most of us aren't, you know, we, we get a, I get a little tiny check every now and again. Right. Um, enough for a gumball or whatever. <laughs> gumball. <laughs> um, my gumball money. 
spending money, walking around money. But so for live shows, being such a big part of your income, like when, when did it start to come back for you? It started, it was like this uh, late spring. So I would say like May, June, mm-hmm. things started to turn around. What did it feel like? getting back out on the stage for the first time, like with all the weirdness and the audience and was that in a place? Because like back then they, they weren't mandating vaccines. Like now more and more places, the Jason Isbell model or Isbell, as he says in the local vernacular, he's re- flat out requiring vaccinations. I know some artists are just saying that's it. If you know, it's that's you either do it or you can't come. Yeah. Yeah. What are your, are the shows that you're playing more like that or are they, what is it? Um, Man, the shows have been like, all across the board really i've done i've done a lot of outdoor shows in the okay. beginning yeah it's different that was different um Safer. and then yeah i think i think club tg does require vaccinations if i'm okay if i'm correct um and yeah there's a lot of places that do require the vaccinations it's just it's just such a makes you feel so much better about being in a room with people yeah <laughs> you know well i mean i was eager to be vaccinated like for me i felt like it was the uh I call it the on-ramp to the comeback trail. Yeah. Like it's not the Ali Ali Oxen free moment, but it's like, this is how we do this. This is how we as a society and as a species move forward without killing all of the weaker members of our society. Like Darwinism sounds right. great until yeah. it's, it's mamao. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, but so, so, so you've been mostly okay with it and you've been able to manage it pretty well because flying is part of that too. Like flying was scary for a while. Yeah. Um, I didn't, fly much at all until you know i was vaccinated okay um and then yeah we did have some fly dates that i was on and yeah just keep that mask on (laughs) yeah do you um do you tend do you get any opening gigs out of these uh, side gigs because i know certain artists i know will go out like some of them i I know one guy he was a technician with a particular artist like a well-known artist and every now and again they'd be like okay you want to open up two or three shows on this run yeah you get situations like that um i haven't in a while but then again like performing is just getting back but i have a little bit on the road yeah oh very Mm -hmm. nice yeah one last question about choirs and i want you to play your last tune before i kick you out of here um do you miss it oh yeah so much i i miss yeah. it yeah i would love to go and sing in a great choir again for people who haven't sang in an acapella choral group there's nothing like it in the world it's just it's it like it like lifts me in a way like lifts my spirit and i desperately miss it i had so fortunate to have sung i had a high school choir that was pretty good and then choir had a great choir under a great director traveled and toured with that so, it was cool. so amazing <sighs> Makes me want to get back into a choir. Yeah, okay, man. so you've got a special treat for us here. You're uh, dipping into someone else's material. Tell us, tell us, me and our listeners, why you chose this song and who it is. Yeah, this is Tom Petty's Time to Move On from one of my favorite records of all time, Wildflowers. Um, I've been playing it lately as a as a cover tune, and I just I love it. It it's very poignant right now as we are kind of moving out of the pandemic and um it just it hits really hard right now and i love this song so i hope you enjoy that's enough that's enough for me you could do a lot worse than covering tom petty if you're going to cover anyone cover tom petty so this is leanne sco to the song time to move on from tom petty's wildflowers on independence day it's time to move on 
time to get going Well, eyes ahead, I have no way of knowing Get under my feet, baby Grass is growing It's time to move on It's time to get going Broken skyline Moving through the airport She's an honest defector Conscientious objector Now her own protector Broken skyline Which way to love when Which way to something better Which way to forgiveness Which way do I go It's time to move on It's time to get going Well as ahead I have no way of knowing But under my feet baby Grass is growing It's time to move on It's time to get going Sometime later, getting the words wrong, losing the meaning and wasting the rhymes. Nauseous adrenaline, it's like breaking up a dog fight, like a deer in the headlights, frozen in real time. I'm losing my mind. It's time to move on, it's time to get going. What lies ahead, I have no way of knowing. But under my feet, baby, grass is growing. Yeah, it's time to move on. It's time to get going. It's time to move on. It's time to get going. One of my favorite things in the entire world, a great cover of a Tom Petty song. Tom Petty's amazing. WWTPD is what I say when I'm making music. When it comes to like, is that, is that rhyme scheme work? I don't know. Would Petty do it? If he wouldn't, no, it's out the door. Going to do something else. Got to raise the bar, Leanne. That's how we do it. That's right. Thank you so much for coming on the show, taking time out of your busy schedule. And the musicians are busy. We've got this weird like time compression expansion thing in terms of we're busy, we're not hurry up and wait lifestyle. But I always appreciate that you gave your time and your, your musical gifts, which are ample to us and our listeners. Uh, you've got this show coming up at... Uh, Club, I go look. It's, it's a crazy name of this place, Club TG, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. That is on Glendale Boulevard, thirty-two ten Glendale Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. Sunday the seventh. That's coming up very, very soon. You should check that out. It is the release party show for your Lucky Penny EP, which I hope everyone picks up. And then, what's next for you after this? You said you, you, you've you've dropped some hints that there's some more music behind that. Are there more shows? What's coming next? Yeah, let's hope a lot more shows. Um, working on that, and a new EP shall be close behind. Well, keep doing what you're yeah, doing. I like your so direction, much, Leanne. Thank, thank you for you. taking the time. I appreciate it so very much. So thank you to Leanne Skoda, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton, also Edie Fishcamp Armstrong. The groovy tone, Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Thank you, Loke. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Be sure you check those guys out. Great autumnal music there. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, please be good to one another. <laughs>